The light shines wider when the night grows darker. My pen raises to meet the dawn. Hello, thanks for joining in. My name is Lin, and today we will be dis- discussing the widely praised and acclaimed book Wild Swans by Jung Chang. Hi, welcome. So I'm Hosu Kim, and I'm also very excited to be discussing this book today. Um, it was such an intense, complex, and tragic history of China. Yeah, exactly. But before we dive into the uh, content, let's give our listeners an immediate context for the book. You're right. So the book was written by Jung or Jung Zhang, and who was she was born in Sichuan, China. Um, and the book basically illustrates the history of 20th century China through the stories of herself, her mother, um, whose name is De Hong, her grandmother Yu Fang. Yeah, so the three generations. And Chang herself was a child of high-ranking party executives of the Chinese Communist Party. And she served as a Red Guard during the Cultural Revolution. And after criticizing Mao openly, her parents were subjected to public torture. So she felt skeptical about life under the Communist Party. And she moved to England in 1978, where she wrote this book. And she intended to be a kind of whistleblower to Chinese history by writing this book. Um, it's also quite interesting that the story starts around in Manchuria, a region that underwent intense political upheaval since the Sino-Japanese War. The three women experienced several different forms of power from both internal and external sides. So all in all, I think this was a basic synopsis of a big novel. And there was so much to write about how I felt while writing reading this book. Um, I think my knowledge of Chinese history definitely improved and I found it interesting to read more about the lived history from people's perspective. And it was an incredible and moving story about life and survival in China during complex times. Um, And mostly I was impressed by the levels of brutality and suffering, but also the strength and love within the Chang family. So now we know a bit more about the book's context. Let's dive into the discussion. The podcast will mainly focus on different forms of agency and resistance because we both agreed that the book uh, provides a rich narrative on how individuals develop their own survival strategies under different forms of suppression. This includes not only different state powers, but also the power of patriarchy or oppressive traditions. So we made our reflections basically by referring to the Foucaultian concept of power and subjectivity. So according to Foucault, subjectivity is shaped and produced by underlying power relations, and this implies that every individual action can be seen as a response against power. Hopefully, we'll be able to explore how different women throughout Chinese history developed their own forms of agency, which can also be seen as uh, resistance. Yeah, so we divided this podcast into two subparts. So first, we'll see how women held agency under oppressive regimes. And in the context of different oppressions, we will point to how sexual violence against women were used to support war crimes, regardless of the dominating power. And also, we will note how women still showed empathy and solidarity in those times. And at the end, we will try to add some critical points to keep in mind. So let's see why we think the theme of agency is important in this novel. Yeah, so basically the three women in this book each hold different forms of agency to the patriarchal times in which they live. And there were changes in political times while the Chinese women had to be under the power of the Japanese, the Soviets, the Kuomintang nationalists, or the communists. And this did not mean an end to the oppression of the women. By this, I mean the communists, where everyone should be treated, quote-unquote, the same and be equal to each other, which turns out to be untrue in this book. So, unfortunately, we cannot pinpoint a moment where successful resistance and freedom were actually achieved. 
The story um, rather shows how three women fought against different powers, powers in each political time. And of course, patriarchy can be considered a power that commonly underlies all, all three. Um, since we don't really have much time to talk about all three women, let's take the example of the grandmother, Yu Fang. In the context in which Yu Fang grew up, the Confucian tradition of three obediences defined what it meant to be a woman. Obedience to her father, her husband, and son. So a woman was basically perceived as good when she fulfilled all these obediences. Yeah, exactly. And Yu Fang's parents hoped that having her bound feet would make her an obedient daughter and a future wife. And ultimately, through trickery, Yu Fang becomes the concubine of an important warlord called General Shu. Or is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, she didn't have the same rights as his primary wife. And so Yu Fang became part of Shu's household with inferior status. So um, two examples of Yu Fang taking back control and agency can be seen in her resistance to giving Xue's primary wife the rights of her child. Yu Fang was expected to give her child to Xue's wife. And his wife would become then uh, her child's mother. And Yu Fang should address her child as young mistress. Because she really didn't want this, she came up with a plan to kidnap her child and escape these expectations. Yeah, and another example that I thought of is when Xue died. She didn't kill herself to be with him. At the time, it was not uncommon for women to commit suicide after their husbands died. And a lot of women followed their husbands to death also. But Yu Fang didn't really respond to this expectation because she wanted to make sure her daughter has a better place in society than herself. So this conversation also reminds me of one part of the book about Han Chen, which was a friend of De Hong. Um, so while he was a member of the Nationalist Party, he forced himself to be uh, to wild extremes in abusing his body and refused to take any treatment. Why? Um, because he realized that there was no other way he could step out of the party. He first wanted to commit suicide, but again, suicide was considered a traditional gest gesture of protest that might definitely bring uh, trouble to his family. So he decided that the only way out was to die a natural death. I guess we can here also apply Foucault's definition of sovereign power as the right to take life or let live, meaning that the sovereign power even de deprived Han Chen from the right to take life himself. For him, natural death was the only way he could show resistance against the Kuomintang and hold agency for his own will. I also noted things I didn't really think about whilst reading, so this is definitely um, very interesting. But let's move on to now to our next theme, Japanese imperialism and war crimes against women. So what stood out uh, to you with regards to these um, uh, themes? Yeah, so I noticed that the different forms of domination allowed us to look into the dynamics between oppression stemming from both external colonial powers and internal political struggles. Of course, it can also be relevant for studies in international relations. And since the time period of this book goes from the last Chinese dynasty, the warlord period, Japanese colonialism, and the Kuomintang, it also goes to the rise of fanatic communism. And these periods had a huge impact on the rest of modern Chinese history. Exactly. And uh, I want to talk more about the Japanese empire, since this conflict led to deep strife between the Kuomintang and the communists. It's quite interesting to see how Japanese colonialism deeply impacted domestic political struggles. 
Yeah, and I think discussing the Japanese empire can be important when discussing race and gender in general.、Um, I remember when Du Hong and her classmates had to watch newsreels about Japan's war. Colonial violence became more violent. Japanese soldiers started cutting people in half, and prisoners were torn to pieces.、Um, and Du Hong was definitely shocked in fear when she witnessed many girls from the town, and they were dressed in pretty aprons, but were dispatched to Japan or used as "quote unquote" comfort women for the Japanese soldiers. Interestingly, the topic of, of comfort women is still important today, as some women、uh, who worked as comfort women during these times still try to get justice. Yeah, of course. So, for example, in 2021, last year, a lawsuit in South Korea was dismissed by a court, and Japan's state immunity was upheld. And this lawsuit was raised by a group of women who were forced to work in brothels. I think it is still a complex issue in East Asian relations nowadays, mainly because the issue is placed where imperialism and feminism intricately intersect one another. So after the Japanese were defeated, a vast amount of looting, raping, and killing began. This time against the Japanese people who were living in China at the time. The Chinese villagers immediately lynched the Japanese. A point、uh, striking me was that rape and violence against women. Were among the first things that would be committed as violence against a former colonizer.、Um, it's also shown how Japanese women would、uh, shave their heads to try to pass as men, because women would definitely become the first targets of violence. Yeah, so I think this is an example of how, regardless of the nationalities of women before, during, and after the war, they were all always the first ones to be exposed to war crimes, and this is constantly witnessed under the consecutive state powers. In the book, even after Japanese colonialism,、uh, but in but I also remember that there was a, a sense of solidarity among women. So after the Japanese were defeated,、uh, De Hong would immediately think about Miss Tanaka, who was the only teacher at her school who had shown distress when her friend had been executed by the Japanese. So De Hong decided to hide her in the house, borrowing a set of clothes from her aunt. In this way, it's kind of、um, a sense of、uh, womanhood. Exactly. So, by helping each other as neighboring friends, I think these individual narratives show us how women would help each other and develop agency in their own ways.、Um, and this was definitely a time, a political time, in which the Japanese and Chinese were supposed to hate each other. But the book shows small but empowering moments of these women. So perhaps it was possible because both women had shared experiences of fearing violence. And especially Chang still finds warmth in people in moments where she feels like giving charcoal to snow. So, although we both、uh, thought the story was very insightful and empowering, is there anything we should critically keep in mind while and after reading it? Yeah, good question. So I think I did have some remaining questions after finishing it, and it's especially about where the story ends. Chang moves to England and finds a place that allows her to feel a whirlwind of intoxicating times, of diverse range of culture, literature, and arts. And the book's last chapter shows how thrilled she was when having access to much freedom and equality, which motivated her to write this autobiography and publicize the dark sides of Chinese history. Um, I definitely agree with the need to inform more people about what has happened in China, but my question is how those outside of the Chinese context should perceive and approach this final part of the story. 
Yeah, and I want to add to this that I saw many interviews of the author mentioning that she wants to contribute to sharing, uh, publicizing and uncovering the nightmares of China, especially by using the freedom and opportunities uh, which have been granted to her in Britain. So I definitely agree with you. I do share the need to let more people know about the story of such empowering women who actively and autonomous, autonomously <laughs> de- develop their own sur- survival strategies under different t- tyrannical governments. Yeah, definitely. So my point is here that we need to be aware and careful about how to approach the narrative in a way that does not discard the elements of local Chinese agency and that, and that does not frame the whole country or region as a place that is in need for the rescue of Western liberty. So this is also relevant in terms of our discussion today, um, as today sheds light on the different forms of agency and resistance of the locals. Do you have any suggestions on how we can be more aware? Uh, Yeah, so I can think of two suggestions. The first one is that the layers of oppression in local context should be analyzed with cultural sensitivity. So feminist approaches should not unilaterally apply the lenses of Western feminism and a more in-depth understanding of East Asian culture, Confucianism and their compatibility with feminism is required. I think it's also important that this is um, because East Asian feminism has often been seen as an instrument for westernization uh, during modern history, mainly by the influence of Western missionaries in the early 20th century. Yes, and the second suggestion I would make is that um, I think local narratives, such as this book itself, should be more known among broader audiences. And narratives are needed from individuals who experienced and witnessed the problematic aspects of society from within. I think, just like the author of this book. So we will be able to gain more access to bottom-up lenses, and it will always be more relevant and local sensitive when solutions are sought by the people directly connected to the site. Yeah, and Chang uh, does have a a warm heart to China, hoping for a bright future for the people, despite her book is still banned there. And after reading about her life, I guess the name Wild Swan is indeed very suitable for her. Yes, so um, I think that was all that we had to say for today, and we have to end our discussion here. Um, And it's a pity that we didn't have the time to talk more about other fascinating topics in the book, such as life under communism. Um, But today we focus more on how individual agency was manifested under different layers of oppression. So it was a great uh, discussion. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for our next episode.